from Abhyankar's eyes to our listeners. I'm Pragya, your host, and welcome to our 11th episode of UPSC Prep Decoded. In light of GS Paper 4, which deals with ethics, today we shall be discussing ethical questions in economics in conversation with the director and mentor, Ashay Abhyankar. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Pragya. Thank you very much for having me. According to a recent Oxfam report, International economic inequalities have been sharply rising in the past three decades. What's worrying is that basic necessities like health is also a luxury good for developing economies like India. So, sir, my first question to you is, in wake of the recent pandemic, we have seen that poverty and inequality are not just economic issues, but ethical issues as well. Could you please elaborate on the same? Absolutely, Pragya. The pandemic has been an eye-opener in more ways than one. Firstly, because when poverty was measured, an assessment of poverty was done, you always looked at it as an economic phenomena, as a sort of deprivation only of the material factors of life. But a very comprehensive understanding of poverty and the inequality that it drives also tells you the absentia of moral well-being. That is very, very critical in ensuring that you can have basic amenities to life. You are able to enjoy the basic rights to your life. And as a result of this, there is a lot of focus now on ensuring that HDI factors, the human development index factors, become critical to the fight against poverty because not only can you be in a position where you can try and improve according to the basic life conditions, but you're also having a guarantee of access and reach to basic amenities, civic utilities, and the bare essentials of life today. The understanding of roti, kapda, and makan is, is no longer that relevant today purely because its definition, its expansion have increased. They have widened with regard to the necessities of life being interwoven into citizenry, whether they be at X level of socioeconomic development or not. So when you look at the human development index factors, the state has to move from a position of not only guaranteeing physical infrastructure, but also putting in place the necessary amends so that social infrastructure facilities in terms of education, in terms of health, in terms of clean air are available to everybody irrespective of their economic strata. In this post-COVID era, we have seen that the workforce was fired, millions of jobs were lost, there was no social security. In that scenario, do we see India moving towards a universal basic income? And if India decides to implement it, what are the moral hazards that are related to it? Concept of a UBI or universal basic income is a Western concept. In its thought, it's very, very ideal, very aspirational. But with regard to implementation, it could be utopian. Now, when you implement a universal basic income, it could work in countries where there is a parity in terms of access to goods, services and utilities for the general public. India has been providing a huge amount of subsidy. So the kind of subsidies that you enjoy with regard to access to food under the National Food Security Act, cheap housing facilities that are provided to people from the lower economic strata, large amount of healthcare benefits that are going to be rolled out under the Pradhan Mantri Janarogya Yojana, employment opportunities under the MGNREGA, the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural 
Employment Guarantee Act. So here you have a slew of amenities, subsidies that are already being provided to people. Now, in case you try and push out a system of a universal basic income, in addition to these subsidies, this is going to work more like a dole. And this is going to be slightly more regressive because the whole idea of the shift from dependence to reliance will never happen in a situation like this. So better thought process is that the subsidies allow people to stay afloat. They are able to have access to the basic amenities of life. And at the same time, you spend adequate amount of time to try and enhance their skills, their vocational technical skills, push in a greater degree of entrepreneurship among them so that you are able to make people self-reliant and they can stand on their feet and can keep aspirationally growing by only enhancing their skill sets. So though the concept of a universal basic income in theory seems to be very, very aspirational and very doable, in practice, the concept could be slightly utopian. And for a country like India, it could actually have a large number of negative effects that could be seen only in years to come. Also, so recently, the government of India is increasingly adhering to the policy of disinvestment, both in strategic and non-strategic sectors. We see an increase in the role of private players, especially in railways and in sectors like airport building. But this is in contrast to the welfareism model that is led by the Indian state in the past. My question to you is, what are the ethical challenges that arise with this when the government is moving towards an approach where it has no business being in business? That's absolutely right. This was a very clear spelt out strategy of the government when they came out with a concept of minimum government, maximum governance. The models of disinvestment in areas that you mentioned in terms of management of airports, railways, etc. are areas wherein you allow the experts to bring in their expertise and to manage the infrastructure facilities. I for one could definitely vouch for cleaner stations, cleaner trains, better public interface in terms of information that's coming to you, primarily because those that possess the skill set to actually go out there and ensure facilities for public utility, for civic amenities, are allowing citizens to enjoy these facilities with the best management skills in the business. There are ethical challenges involved. These are with regard to the creation of a cartel or a monopoly, restrictive practices, by certain private players, you have had situations of a very similar nature where there has been a degree of cartelization in blocking or fixing of air prices. But that is exactly where the welfare state also becomes a regulatory state. Regulatory bodies, in their most impartial manner, are able to assess factors wherever there are issues that are ethical in nature that crop up, where the rights of the citizens are being compromised because of certain degree of malpractices by the private vendors. And it is these regulatory bodies in the modern era that are going to be the balance between public and private interfaces, particularly where the private enterprises are now owning and also managing public enterprises, uh, civic utilities, and are also providing a host of amenities that were otherwise being provided by the government. But the government has to move in an era of globalization. It must be able to focus better on governance through the degree of its policies with a greater outreach to the private sector, public-private partnerships that can actually be very collaborative, fruitful and successful attempts and efforts at providing the best public value to the citizens. So my next question to you is regarding the crisis we are seeing in the banking sector, 
there has been rise of private banks which are providing a plethora of financial services but banking frauds have attracted national attention for example the lakshmi vilas bank yes bank icici bank my question to you is what are the various reasons for rise in the case of banking frauds in the last decades in india and what are the ethical questions that it raises with regard to corporate governance you see cor- corporate governance in india is relatively a slightly newer concept in terms of the multiple committees that were put in recommendations that were put in there has been certain issues with corporate governance and they primarily hinge or stem around one fundamental issue is how you are going to bifurcate ownership and management so when the owner is also the manager of a company there is a situation wherein his interests his personal interests start taking over the professional and business interests of the corporate giant or the company that he actually heads in most of these cases this bifurcation has not been very clear to address your question specifically with regard to banking frauds the banking frauds are primarily ones of instances of crony capitalism where large degree of advances were given to industrialists and corporates by public sector banks perhaps because of some kind of external pressure with no collaterals at all so there is definitely you know a square blame that rests on certain external factors that create a pressure on public sector undertakings in cases like icici and others these have been cases of absolute fraud with regard to like i mentioned with regard to ownership management issues wherein the bifurcation has not been very clear and more importantly the regulatory framework is not robust and strong enough to have back end checks balances to ensure that accountability is wedded into the system and into the process of decision making wherever decisions are taken and there is no accountability for decisions which is inbuilt into the mechanism of the decision making process this is where large amount of corporate frauds take place and this accountability essentially refers to opaque practices lacuna in existing laws which the government has been successfully trying to fix in fact if you look at the companies act post independence it's one of the pieces of legislation that has been amended the most amount of times and that is because as you keep on going forward you realize that there are certain loopholes and there are certain problems gray areas that need to be plugged loopholes that need to be fixed opaque areas of operation that need to be put out with a higher degree of clarity so corporate governance is not an issue that only we in india are battling with it's a global phenomena uh, particularly in the day and age of multinational giants that are operating in different jurisdictions you will keep having these issues crop up but what you will need to do is to have a very very strong and robust regulatory framework that tries to inbuilt accountability into the decision making process coming to the last leg of our discussion india was ranked as the seventh worst hit country in 2019 in the global climate risk index 2021 my question to you is economies today focus on wealth making and profit sharing but this is leading to unethical practices with regard to climate change so what is the dilemma a growing economy like india faces and what approach should we adopt this is a very good question pragya because climate change has its roots with regard to economic inequalities more so for a country like india where the degree of vulnerability is much more higher among the poor in this country their vulnerability is higher because their means for access and reach to alternative clean sources of energy better quality of air better choices which are climate resilient and consistent 
to their ways of life are very difficult to choose purely because of the economic hurdles that stand in the way of them and their choices so in a country like india we need to actually weave in all the 1.34 billion people that we have into a narrative that allows them access to clean energy to clean fuel to clean air it allows them to make reasoned and rational choices with regard to the use of these technologies and amenities and also tries and initiates a behavioral change among the general population at large with regard to the choices that they are making very very consciously on a day to day basis for example when the pm ujwala yojana was started it came as a lifesaver to millions of indian households particularly women in these households that were cooking on traditional chulas day in and day out an activity that was least appreciated seen as a very thankless job but also having great health hazards particularly with regard to respiratory disorders but the minute clean energy and clean cooking gas was made available in every household under the ujwala yojana it came as a major relief because they were able to have access and reach to clean energy the choice was it was more of a choiceless state because this seemed to be the best available alternative to age old practices that were damaging the health and the environment so once you try and start making these inclusions into the day to day life of citizenry at large so whether it means biofuels whether it talks about tackling practices like stubble burning whether it means better systems with regard to management of fossil fuels movement to reduce carbon footprints which can be undertaken at the lowest decentralized level india is definitely going to see a lot of change in these factors but what we need is a higher degree of civil and public participation a greater civil society outreach more ways of trying and bringing about behavioral change and greater degree of inclusiveness particularly because the vulnerability is very very high and as a result of that the exposure to disaster and the risk becomes higher so when you look at the access and reach issues this does not only limit itself to an economic factor but must also transcend social factors that otherwise become barriers for access and reach they could be caste they could be patriarchy they could be region they could be religion so there could be multiple such factors so here we need to come together ensure that these barriers actually become stepping stones so that we are able to go move out maintain our balance and actually help for the growth of the citizens the nation and the international community at large and india's commitments with regard to clean energy have been very very consistent for example holding on to the international solar alliance in the wake of america's exit and now of course the reentry again but india's commitment at a global level has also been very commendable uh, and sends out a very clear message that we are in it for the long haul and we are looking at it not only as a national problem that affects our citizens but a global problem so that we can have a better collaborative effort for a greener and a healthier planet thank you sir for answering some ethical questions raised in economics in recent times this has been truly an enlightening experience to our listeners your inputs feedbacks and suggestions are extremely valuable to all of us and we hope to incorporate them in the future we would conclude this ethical february with our episode today and there is something very exciting coming up in march So please do not forget to tune in next Saturday. If you like this episode, show us love by hitting the like button and saving us to your favorite podcast show. We are now available 
on major streaming platforms Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Also, we have a Facebook page, an Instagram handle, Twitter handle, all by the name of Abhyankar's IS. Please feel free to connect to our website and write to us at our email ID info at the rate abhyankaris.com. On a parting note, stay safe, stay wise, and have a great day.